great if you could turn there. I'm going to invite Rania to come and read that for us now. Good morning. I invite you to open your Bibles at um, Matthew 28, verse 16. I've got this English Standard Version. The Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Well, please do keep your Bible open at that passage. And you'll notice that there is no outline today, just a blank space in the service outline. You can draw a picture, you can doodle, you can do whatever helps you remember what God's Word says today. Would you join me, though, as we pray, as we come to God's Word? Our Father and Lord, please let your Word find its target in our hearts now, so that it may not return to you empty, but instead accomplish that which you purpose and succeed in the thing for which you send it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am a member of a gym. Can you tell? Perhaps not, and I wouldn't blame you. Because once upon a time, I signed some paperwork, I handed some money over, and I got a little barcoded key tag, and I became a member of a gym. I wonder if you can see where this is going. Because I even went for a few months. And more than that, I actually enjoyed it. But now I've stopped paying for more sessions, and the way my gym works, that means I'm now an inactive member. But I'm still a member of a gym. I've even still got my little barcoded key tag to prove it. I haven't been in months, but I'm still a member. In the end, though I'm a member of a gym, it makes absolutely zero difference to my life. Physically, I'm no different now than before I started going to the gym. Uh, and my membership is effectively meaningless. In a similar way, I think, being a Christian is more than just making a decision once upon a time. It's got to make a difference to our lives today. So just as the death and resurrection of Jesus weren't the end of the story for the gospel in human history, so our conversion isn't the end of the story for the gospel in our lives either. The good news of the cross and the empty tomb means the world can never be the same. And it means that we can never be the same once we've come to share in it. Now, of course, it's a process of reconstruction that will take a lifetime to complete. Pretty sure there's a parallel here between the Christian life and Queensland roads. There's always work going on somewhere. But Jesus never leaves us the same. The gospel can't do that. And so becoming a Christian doesn't, doesn't just give us a new label or a new thing to do on Sunday mornings. 
Jesus instead gives us a new way of life. And that new way of life is called discipleship. Now, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at some of Jesus' words that are especially concerned with discipleship. And I hope you can join us over the next three Sundays. So we're going to have our Bibles open at Matthew 28, right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, verse 16 onwards. And now these words are usually known as the Great Commission. Rene read the heading for us in some Bibles a moment ago, the Great Commission. They take place after Jesus has risen from the dead and before he ascends to heaven. Now, we often turn to this passage when we want to talk about international, cross-cultural, gospel mission work. Because Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, we conclude we should be especially concerned with taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, to people who have not yet heard about Jesus. Now, of course, we should be taking the gospel to all nations, and I'm glad we're committed to doing this here at Grace through our, the various mission partners we support in places like Japan, Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu, uh, Indonesia. But maybe this reading of the Great Commission is perhaps too narrow. I think Jesus actually has more in mind here. Because all, all nations can't just mean everywhere over there, all nations actually has to mean everywhere from here to there, doesn't it? In other words, Jesus' concern, his greatest concern is that as a consequence of the gospel, his disciples go on to make more disciples wherever they find themselves. The Great Commission is actually more about the what than about the who or the where. And this pattern should then continue as the gospel spreads and as discipleship results in more discipleship, and as disciples make more disciples. Now, we've been talking a lot about discipleship so far, and we should probably be clear about what we mean. So, what is discipleship? What is discipleship? It's not really a word we use much anymore in our day-to-day -day conversations. But in Jesus' day, both religious teachers and secular philosophers had what they, what they called disciples. They had a little band of students that were called disciples. A disciple is literally a learner. And they would follow the teacher around, they would listen to his words, they would ask him questions, they would watch the way he lived. And each disciple then would often try to aspire to take over from the teacher himself, to kind of inherit the teaching role, become a teacher themselves with their own little band of disciples. This is what those around Jesus would have understood when he used the word disciple. But as is typical of Jesus, he intends far more than just the dictionary definition of the word. Jesus frequently takes ideas and he takes concepts and he supercharges them. He makes them richer and he makes them deeper. So when Jesus in verse 19 tells his disciples to go therefore and make disciples. The discipleship Jesus means, yes, it does look a lot like the discipleship of a rabbi or a philosopher, that is life and learning under a teacher, but there are two particular differences to the discipleship Jesus is talking about. The first one is that discipleship with Jesus is about self-sacrifice, not self-advancement. 
And the second is that discipleship with Jesus is about a relationship with Jesus himself and not just with his ideas. We're going to unpack both of those in a moment. So self-sacrifice, not self-advancement. Because in Jesus' day, people became disciples of particular teachers or philosophers because they had aspirations. They wanted to get answers for life, to try and live life the best way. They wanted to get the inside track on life. Perhaps they even wanted a teaching career for themselves with their own little coterie of followers. Don't think it's that different to what we have today where we pick our favorite leadership gurus or pick our favorite social thinkers and we watch their TED Talks, we attend their seminars, we buy their books, we read their blogs, we get their emails, all in the hope of living better. But if there's one feature of discipleship with Jesus that Matthew highlights over and over again in his gospel, is that people who want to follow Jesus for their own self-advancement will be bitterly disappointed. Because that's not what it's about. You've got to be willing to lose everything to become a disciple of Jesus. And you can only do that if you know that Jesus is the one who will meet your greatest need. You see, when Jesus calls his first disciples in Matthew chapter 4, Peter and Andrew actually leave their cast fishing nets in the water and follow Jesus. In a similar way, James and John, they leave their father in the boat with the still broken fishing nets and they follow Jesus. All these guys immediately pack up their livelihood with no contingency plan because Jesus says, follow me. When Jesus calls Matthew himself in chapter 9, we're told Matthew was sitting at the tax booth. He was a tax collector. And probably he had his ledgers and he had the money sitting there on the table in front of him. But Jesus walks past and says, follow me. And Matthew himself tells us that at Jesus' call, Matthew 9, verse 9, he rose and followed him. He left everything else behind on the table for something, someone else to worry about. On the contrary, if people thought following Jesus would cost them too much, they couldn't become his disciples. In Matthew chapter 8, a man wants to follow Jesus, but he says to Jesus, I've got some other things to do first, then I'll come follow you. Jesus actually tells him to sort out his priorities. In chapter 19, when the rich young ruler wants to follow Jesus, Jesus tells him first to go and sell everything he has and give it to the poor. But we're told when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Matthew 19, 22. So if people thought following Jesus would cost them too much, they couldn't become his disciples. Now, in all of these examples... Matthew is showing the reality of Jesus' words in chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see, Jesus couldn't be any clearer that discipleship with him is absolutely gospel-centered. Discipleship with Jesus is a way of life that resembles and reflects the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
It's seen in those who follow Jesus. Now, of course, this uh, self-denial and taking up of the cross, it hints at a, a word that's very closely related to discipleship, and that's the word discipline. And that reminds us that our discipleship will never happen if we wait for it to happen to us. We have to be obedient to Jesus. In fact, he talks about observing and obeying in verse 20. And we've got to make constant and continual choices to die to self and live to Christ. Choosing to pray in dependence on Jesus rather than acting in dependence on ourselves. Choosing to focus on God's promises to us rather than the problems before us. Choosing to love someone, though it may cost us. Choosing to walk away or run away rather than give in to my own sinful desires. Choosing to go to bed earlier and not watching that second episode of whatever's on Netflix at the moment, so that tomorrow morning I can wake up at a good time and spend time with God in his word before I hit the day. Discipleship and discipline go together. Discipleship means being willing to be completely emptied of self so that you can be completely filled with Jesus. Because the gospel doesn't work in parts. It's all or nothing. I don't know if you've ever lived in a share house or a student digs. Uh, you know that temptation of grabbing that unwashed mug off the counter because there's no, there aren't any clean ones in the cupboard. And you think, I'm just going to use that one. It should be okay. You make your cup of tea. It doesn't taste quite right. It tastes vaguely of soup. You've actually got to wash the cup first before you can enjoy something new in it. That might just be my student digs, if anyway. But you've got to clean it out before you can put something new in it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. He was executed by the Nazis weeks before the Americans liberated his prison camp. And in a book called The Cost of Discipleship, he wrote this. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. See, the gospel calls us to a life of discipleship, a discipleship of self-sacrifice, which reflects Jesus' sacrifice to us, for us. And in dying to self and living to Jesus, we find real life. So that's talking about self-sacrifice, not self-advancement. The second thing we said was that discipleship with Jesus, it's a relationship with a person and not just with his ideas. See, people would often become disciples of teachers and philosophers because they were interested in the stream of ideas that they taught and less about the actual teachers themselves. A good example of this is actually the Apostle Paul, who wrote a whole lot of the New Testament. Uh, before his conversion, he was a disciple of a famous rabbi called Gamaliel. But his discipleship of Gamaliel was more about him learning the ways of the Pharisees from Gamaliel rather than anything that Gamaliel particularly taught. So Paul says in Acts 22 that he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. See, it was that stream of ideas, that tradition 
of learning. And presumably, Paul would have eventually become another rabbi in the Pharisaic tradition if Jesus hadn't met him on the road to Damascus one day. But that's not how discipleship with Jesus works. We don't just follow Jesus to interact with his ideas or with a tradition. We follow Jesus to engage with a person. And it's worth saying this, that the Christian gospel, the message of the Bible, it stands apart from every other faith and every other religion in the world because it's not a set of ideas or a philosophy or a religious tradition. Christianity is different because it's not a religion. It's a relationship with the king of the universe. And let me say that if your interest in Christianity has not yet brought you face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to suggest that you haven't gone deep enough or given it a fair go yet. Because that's what Christianity is, a relationship with the king of the universe. Now, there are two more things I want to say under this heading about our discipleship being a relationship with the person of Jesus and not just his ideas. And the first is about his authority, submission to his lordship. I'll tell you something interesting in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew's gospel, the only people who ever call Jesus teacher are the people who feel threatened by Jesus and who never become his disciples. Did you know that? Only people who ever call him teacher, those who are prejudiced against Jesus, like the teachers of the law uh, who see Jesus as competition. I didn't know that until this week. But more than that, the only person who calls Jesus rabbi in Matthew's gospel, that special term for a Jewish teacher, only person who calls him rabbi is Judas, the one who had gone to betray him. Everyone in Matthew's gospel who is truly a disciple of Jesus calls him Lord. They recognize his authority and they submit to it. Now, this preempts uh, through the whole gospel what Jesus says right at the end of his great commission, uh, or sorry, right at the beginning of the great commission, verse 18 of our passage. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And again, this points to the heart of the gospel in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus was born or at the beginning of his ministry, he both was and wasn't God's promised king and rescuer. Explain what I mean by that. He was because God said he was. But he also wasn't because he'd not yet proved himself to be God's king and rescuer by completing the work that God had for him to do. That is why Satan tries to derail the gospel by tempting Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4. That's why in Matthew 26, when Jesus is praying in the garden, it looks like he might pack the whole thing in. But when Jesus died for sins, for our sins as a perfect sacrifice, he satisfied God's justice. And so God raised him to life and in a way confirmed his appointment as his promised king and rescuer. To explain this from the Bible, I'd like to go to Philippians chapter 2 and listen to verse 8 of Philippians chapter 2. You recognize this is part of a longer section. But Paul writes, being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, friends, when Jesus finished his saving work, he was undeniably proven to be who God made him to be. And so discipleship is about humbly and joyfully submitting to Jesus' authority, obeying his commands because the gospel makes him our king. Well, the second thing I want to say about the person of Jesus is depending on his presence. This is probably the way in which discipleship with Jesus most resembles the contemporary discipleship of Jesus' day. Because disciples and their teachers would actually spend hours together. They would eat together. They would talk together. They would talk formally in sort of lessons. They would also just chat as they, as they walked along the road. They would travel together. In some cases, they would even live together. And this close-range observation helped a disciple to imitate the teacher that they were following, watching their life, listening to their words in all facets. But you know, these teachers could never match the promise of Jesus' words in verse 20, where Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, Jesus' disciples enjoyed Jesus' real presence with them even now between his first and second coming. Now, in John's gospel, we discover that Jesus' presence comes from his Holy Spirit who lives in each and every person who has had their sins forgiven by faith in Jesus' saving work on the cross. And this means that our discipleship takes place in close range to our Lord. He is near to us. This is not such a foreign idea to us. You know, with our phones, we're so used to being constantly connected, aren't we? Uh, It actually gives us the illusion of constant presence. It's really only virtual. What Jesus offers is real constant connection and real constant presence with his disciples. I had an English teacher at high school who would often ask us to turn to a particular page in the book we were reading Uh, He'd appoint someone to start reading and tell us, each of you read a page, and then the next person carry on, then carry on. And halfway down the first page, he'd disappear. Wouldn't see him for 40 minutes. And five minutes before the bell rang, he'd turn up again and say, so, what do you think of the book? Uh, I always wondered where he went and what he did. But Jesus is nothing like that. Jesus is actually with us every step of the way. He doesn't kind of wind us up and let us go. We can talk with Jesus intentionally and spontaneously. We can eat with Jesus. We can travel with Jesus. We can commute with Jesus. We can work with Jesus. We can even come to church with Jesus, and I really hope you do. And again, this reflects the gospel, because our sin makes us like a condemned building, which is no longer fit for anyone to live in and just needs to be knocked down. But when Jesus saves us and forgives us our sins, he makes us new. It's like the most amazing episode of the block you ever saw. And Jesus makes us new. He renovates us and comes to live within us by his spirit. Matthew's gospel begins with a promise taken from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, 
they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's from Matthew chapter 1. Isn't it amazing how Matthew's gospel then ends with Jesus declaring that God with us is now truly a reality because of his death and resurrection. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And so discipleship is about living in Jesus' continual presence because the gospel makes Jesus God with us. Now, the life Jesus calls us to starts with the gospel. That's one reason why the work of making disciples starts with baptism in verse 19. Nothing less will do than the gospel. But life with Jesus, it's also more than just a baptism or just a conversion experience or just a prayer prayed a long time ago. It has to be more because the gospel is more than just a one-off event. The gospel changes everything, and that includes us. And Jesus, sorry, discipleship is the only way of life that actually reflects the gospel. I think it's striking that when Jesus spoke to his disciples that day on the, on the mountain in Galilee, having died and rose again to fulfill God's promises, he didn't say to his disciples, go therefore and make fans of all nations. Because the Christian life is not about barracking for Jesus, as though he needed our encouragement. That doesn't reflect the gospel. Jesus didn't, go, didn't say, go therefore and make activists of all nations. Because the Christian life is not about agitating for rights and freedoms, because that doesn't reflect the gospel either. We're freed from something far greater in Christ. Jesus didn't even say, go therefore and make students of all nations. Because the Christian life is not about a head knowledge, which well, it's not just about a head knowledge, which has no effect on our hearts, because that doesn't reflect the gospel. In fact, the only way of life that can possibly be a consequence of the gospel is the life of discipleship with Jesus, learning from him, imitating him in submission to his authority and in prayerful dependence on his presence. It's the only option. If you call yourself a Christian and your life is nothing like that, more like my gym membership, maybe the gospel has yet to take root in your life. Ask God to help you with that. Read your Bible. Pray. Approach a trusted Christian friend. Ask, ask them your questions and ask them to pray with you and for you. And over the next two Sundays, we're going to look at two more Important things Jesus tells us about discipleship in this passage, that discipleship is, uh, is word-focused and that discipleship is church-based. And I hope you can join us for those. But we've got to remember, it all starts with the gospel. We have to learn this for ourselves, so we've got to keep coming back to the gospel ourselves in our discipleship. But we've also got to learn this because of what Jesus calls his disciples to do, namely to go and make more disciples. Jesus expects that his disciples will continue the work of gospel-centered discipleship in others all over the world. So we need to know the parameters. Because this is the age we live in. Between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, it's the age where Jesus' disciples, because of what Jesus has done, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit 
and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. Because Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you so much for saving us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have undeniably approved him as your King and Savior, your promised Lord, your promised rescuer. And Father, we thank you for your grace that what Jesus has done may affect our lives as well. Father, help us to live always in response to the gospel submitting to Christ's authority and living in prayerful dependence on him. And Father, we pray that we'd be eager to see this take place in the lives of others. Please strengthen us for that and help us rest in Jesus to do that. We pray this in his name. Amen.